Module 5, Study. May seem like a strange subject in a class to have a module called Study, but in fact, if you hear the message of this module, it will change your life for the better forever. We are often so involved or over-involved or consumed with the events of our life. We often let go of the macrocosmic viewpoint. We get consumed by the small stuff. You've had a moment in your life like that, haven't you? Where you felt so overwhelmed by the small stuff happening in your life, you feel like you can't cope. The small stuff feels really big at these times. Getting caught up like this usually causes us to feel stuck, alone, insecure, unsure, lost and afraid. Yet when we look up from the small temporary messes of our lives and once again look at the big picture, we are freed from all the drama and anxiety. I'm sure you've had an aha moment or a change in perception experience that has brought you from being so caught up to feeling free and like everything will be okay. This is when your view changes from microcosmic to macrocosmic. The bigger picture always frees us, yet for most people it is hard to stay focused on the big picture because there are so many little things in life that draw us out of this presence. But there is a way of life that allows us to keep this macrocosmic viewpoint all the time, and it only requires you to do one single thing or add a way of thinking to your personal philosophy. You must think of life as a never-ending study and yourself as the perpetual student. This is important for so many reasons, and the benefits are enormous. Firstly, considering yourself as a student of life means you acknowledge you are always learning. This is important. If you ever consider yourself a know-it-all, you will feel dead inside, bored with life and be very annoying to everyone else around you. No matter how knowledgeable we are, we cannot ever know everything because the universe is a quantum one. Every different choice and other version of what we know also exists. So there is always more we could learn. For the moment we know something, something else is always created. There is a point all spiritual students reach at many levels of their journey where they'll feel like they know it all. This sacred point is where an invitation to a deeper state of consciousness is opening. At the time, the student may feel bored with their practice, unstimulated by their journey, and like all things and experiences are rather dull. This is different from the know-it-all I described earlier. This is simply a place of growth. We experience this in small steps firstly and in larger ways later on in our journey. Believing we have every answer is deeply uninspiring. Take a moment and imagine there is absolutely nothing else to learn. Really try and imagine it. You knew everything, have had every experience, cannot possibly learn anything else. Feeling to how this state might feel. If you're really in the moment with this idea, then it probably feels like life would be over, and it would be. We are here to learn and grow and thrive in this moment. It is the basic core of the life principle. Things must grow, us included. Most people in our world feel like they know everything. They become microcosmic experts in their field or in the parameters of their lives. Then they become bored because they do not adventure beyond the comfort zone. They stay huge fish in tiny ponds. How utterly boring. 
Have you ever had an experience where you've become a total expert at a field of work or another area of your life and felt there is nothing more to learn? Did you notice how boring it felt? They then have a position to defend. After all, if you are better than everyone else, what do you do if you meet someone who challenges your ego's idea of this version of you? Of course, then, this causes conflict. Imagine, instead, if you meet another who has something to offer, to add to your own expertise. The meeting, instead, would be interesting, uplifting and fulfilling for you both. Again, we're seeing some great ideas about this in the world right now. Many world leaders think they know it all. As we spoke of in the diversity module, they feel their way is the only way and this causes conflict. They have stopped learning. One of my favourite quotes is, dogma in any form always helps us to remain stuck. I can't recall where I've read it, but it has always spoken to me. Dogma is death. It is the opposite of life. We must remain open to newness. We must be allowed to grow. In the same way, each new day brings a different sunrise and different experiences, even though the world is billions of years old. There is still a new day every single day. Our lives are like this. If you've ever felt depression, I can bet you it is caused because you haven't allowed yourself to experience this newness, to witness the beauty of every day and all its differences. When we're stuck in this rut, it feels like every day is the same. It's not. Wake with the sunrise and remind yourself of this. I often see spiritual teachers defend their position. They believe their way is the only way and they defend it. Because of diversity, of course, there are always spiritual teachers with different viewpoints out there. I have, in fact, never seen two teachers with the same viewpoint. So any teacher that clings to their way of being, the right way, cannot exist in the world with others. They're often isolated and usually by the time they're seeing me for sessions, have become quite suicidal. Dogma is death. In order to advance to our true spiritual potential, we must realise we will be here to learn in a different way. After all, why would consciousness expand if we're all here to learn exactly the same thing? It wouldn't, of course. So we should expect others to be studying a radically different version of life to us, even if some parts are similar. We must see ourselves as the eternal student. There is always more to learn no matter how advanced we think we are. Even if we are an expert in our field, other fields have more expertise to offer us. I remember when I owned Shambhala Retreat, how much I learned from the most simple things. My driveway was a big teacher. Who would have thought that was possible? As a city girl, I had no idea there were so many teachings about consciousness in owning a rural driveway. My driveway was set up badly when I bought the property and there was not much that could be changed in terms of its location. It needed to be where it was. Getting present with its situation was the first step rather than trying to get someone else to solve it for me or to be somewhere else. Sounds like presence, right? Then I needed to get physical with the driveway as it was a physical problem. I would walk down there in the rain to see where the washouts kept happening and how they could be changed. I remember stopping one day, pick in hand, and looking at the water flowing down the driveway. I realised in that moment how nature always has a flow and if we work with it, it works for us. 
As I removed the blockages and diverted the water where I needed it to go, the rain helped. It only took a fraction of the normal effort from me. It felt like I had come to understand something sacred about our connection to nature and the water element and its flow particularly. Work with the flow and there's much less effort involved. Go with the flow now had a new meaning for me. Working on that driveway was really hard physically and it gave me a new respect for road workers. In Australia, we call them lollipop men who hold the stop and go signs during road works. I always used to drive past them and judge them. But after having worked on my driveway, I learned so much compassion about how difficult their task was. Now I send love and appreciation every time I go by roadworks, giving thanks it is they and not me that is doing that hard work. Interesting, right? A rural road giving me teachings about compassion, appreciation, gratitude, cosmic flow, how to work with ease and grace, how to take advantage of natural energies and opportunities. There was so much teaching there available. I could have just dug the road, not paying attention, probably swearing and whinging inside about the difficulty of the task if I wasn't present. But instead, I was studying the moment, looking for the learning. And the moment became really interesting, exciting, uplifting and awesome, despite the arduous task I was undertaking. This is what presence allows us when we are fully in the moment. We have the opportunity to step into the vaster picture of what is. We look with macrocosmic eyes to really witness the isness of the situation. Then we can drink its teachings and benefit from the blessings it has to offer, but only if we're willing to study the moments knowing they are each a gift of the great mystery of our lives that is always inviting us into deeper states of bliss, love and truth. We must ask, what is this moment offering me? You can move through even the most difficult of moments with this mindset on and feel as though you have benefited intensely and immensely from whatever the situation. There is indeed a gift in everything. I remember many years ago when my father tore his Achilles heel. As it healed, he had a blood clot form and the doctors were really concerned for his health. The clot could travel to his brain or his heart and kill him instantly. When he told me, I immediately got the feeling that he was going to die. So I flew overseas to be with him and with his permission, gave him seven days of healing. This was the first time my father had actually needed any spiritual help from me. He'd never really seen what I could do before, as this kind of experience was quite far outside his normal comfort zone. But he agreed to any help, I think, because instinctively he was also getting the same sense I was that something dire was about to emerge that would result in his expiration. During the healing process, I was studying the problem. I saw visions of our ancestors and gave them information about an ancestor a specific amount of generations back who had had a specific experience. This I explained was the root cause of the problem and I explained why. The epigenetics passed down were inflicting this unwellness upon my dad. My father had done a lot of research into our family tree, even though I had not, and he knew the exact ancestor I was talking about who had had that exact experience. A bit blown away, he really started to listen to what I said. He studied the teachings I was able to offer him, and he lived. Not only did this provide him with a world-changing viewpoint shift, a future and an amazing new connection with his daughter, but it allowed him to ask for help a decade later when he nearly died in hospital from septicemia. His openness to look at the bigger picture of why he was attracting this experience 
allowed him to shift a very traumatic event from his field and again he lived. His trust in my ability to study the problem and reveal the answers also made him pay attention and he cleared something for himself but also cleared a karmic tie down the line that ensured my son will never have the same experience. Our study always changes our consciousness and it affects those closest to us. My sister was still in Australia when I assisted my father both times. She felt amazing shifts relating to the underlying issues even though she had no idea I was working on them. Our consciousness shifts can uplift everyone around us. As I'm always studying the why, I also noticed that my son cleared the energy from all grandparents before he entered. While he was in my womb, both my parents, who'd been seriously healthy for their whole lives, came to the brink of death and lived, but only just. My husband's biological and stepfather both did die shortly after Arthur was born. Again, as these life events happened, I was shown the energies that created these circumstances. My grandfather died the year I was born from my father's side. Arthur had that same karma. Now, as you can imagine, these events were very serious, but at no point was I burdened by them because I was studying them. I was looking for the information in the moments, passing on these directions to those open to hearing them and showing the way through because of what I was seeing in my study practice. In essence, this is the crux of my entire job. I'm a why finder. Why is very powerful. Once we understand it, we are free. At every opportunity, we have the invitation to study life and what it is presenting us with. One of my favorite examples of this is through the teachings of Ram Das. In a movie he speaks in called Ecstatic State, he speaks of this witnessing where he's in pain, witnessing himself having a good old story about being in so much pain. He's super involved with the little stuff of the moment, the pain, and then he realizes he is in the little stuff and he brings his awareness back to the reality. He's watching himself, telling himself a story that he's in pain, and this witnessing frees him from the pain. It entertains him. His story becomes funny to him because he's being such a drama queen. There is a sense of divine humor in our lives, even in the most difficult moments. We often don't laugh till later, but we can laugh at ourselves during as well, and it is liberating. Later in his life, he had a stroke. I see now that he is teaching on what this caused him to study about himself. The greatest teachers are always studying. I've met so many elders in my journey, those who are caught in ego, having breakdowns. Eventually, they usually abuse those who are their students, rename themselves a guru and do the wrong thing by everyone. However, there are those elders who have actually got this concept really right. I was so refreshingly surprised to find elders who didn't behave badly when I trained to become a minister of walking prayer with the elders from more than 50 tribes worldwide. This teaching was facilitated through the Centre for Sacred Studies while they were still organising things for the International Council of 13 Indigenous Grandmothers. I didn't understand their title, Centre for Sacred Studies, when I first began my training to become a reverend of these sacred indigenous ways, but came to understand that indeed we are each a center of sacred study. We must study the sacred. This is the key to our center and the sacred is in every moment. It's not just in the things you think are spiritual. Watching my son get his 
six teeth in six weeks and scream and be in pain, causing no one to get much sleep has been so sacred. He is here with a big purpose and he's getting a crash course in embodying so he can wake up to full consciousness early. His father and I are being taught about receiving help from others, which helps his grandparents feel great. We're also practicing deep kindness as we're both pretty rude and feral when we get little sleep. Challenging moments often hold the greatest teachings. We all know this, but we can get really excited about even the darkest moments when we are paying real attention to studying them. Every tooth is a step towards Arthur's self-realization. Sleep deprivation feels like service to his sacred self-emerging. What could be more uplifting for a parent? Conversely, if I wasn't studying the why here, I could be miserable, cranky and very resentful. See how powerful study can be? Here's how you grow in week one. When you think of the most challenging moments of your life, and perhaps some of them at present, are you studying them? Are you seeing them as sacred teachings being delivered to you? Are you grateful for them? There is a different way you approach things when you consider them sacred. Instead of being a mess because of little sleep, a cranky husband and a screaming baby, I am patient, calm and joyful that my little one is so embodied already. Amazed by how much love my husband and I have for each other. Proud of my own mastery of motherhood. There is so much peace in the moments. What are you learning right now? Think of a difficult situation in your life. Are you soaking in all of the learnings? Are you paying attention to the signs, information and coincidences that inform you from the world around you daily? Think of one concept and spend the first week really studying it. Think of it as if you're in life university. This event, situation or experience is a course you are presently taking towards your degree of life. You want to try and get the highest marks you can, so you're going to soak in information from every resource you can. Then you'll formulate your idea about the concepts you're learning and submit a mind paper to the universe. If you're right, you'll get confirmation. A change will manifest in the world to show you you have succeeded. If you're not right, you'll have a test appear in your life that shows you you've momentarily failed and need to take on another approach. Then you can modify your approach, restudy the information, experiences and coincidences that come to you, and resubmit your mind paper until you get a resounding A in the subject and see your joys manifest. You can't drop out of this life university, so if you fail a unit, the universe will make you sit through another course unit, shown to you in a slightly different way. You'll keep experiencing the same thing with slight variations until you get the teaching. Exciting, isn't it? The universe never quits on us. Often people only see the learning with hindsight, experiencing massive pain during the teaching itself. But if you understand that all pain has a purpose, no matter how painful it is, you will always be grateful for it. I remember a lesson like this for me many years ago. My wisdom teeth were growing sideways, one into the nerves of the tooth in front. I'd had the opportunity to get them out a decade earlier, but I'd been busy and placed this in the lowest priority. As a result, I ignored this need I had. When it came to crisis point, I was in sheer agony. The pain was stronger than I ever imagined pain could be. 
And I was in this situation over Christmas when on the mid-north coast where I live, it was impossible to get in to see the surgeon for much longer than I could bear. My husband even took me to the emergency at the hospital where they injected my gums with anaesthetic. I had to do everything in my power not to punch the person giving me the injection. It was excruciating. I don't normally drink at all, but when the pain came back again within half an hour, I picked up a bottle of tawny port I had at home and drank the lot. Gave me such relief. As I sat there pain-free, I really started to laugh at the situation I was in. I asked my guides, who thought it was quite entertaining to see me a little drunk, why I had manifested it. I was getting the most painful lesson that I would never forget about the value of taking care of myself as a priority. When I woke up the next morning, there was no more pain, and it only came back two weeks later on the day I was due to have the surgery I didn't want to have to remind me of why I needed to take care of myself. Teachings can relieve themselves from us when we no longer need them. Look at the gift I was given. I have never forgotten that moment, and that was a very sacred teaching. I've cared for myself more deeply, prioritizing my needs ever since. What were your most painful moments teaching you? Did you learn during them and get relief? Or did you only see with hindsight? What would have made you pay attention during the process to learn with it, within it, rather than after it? Did you forget you were a student? If you didn't learn till after, you may have been considering yourself a master rather than a student. I find this to be the case often. People think they know better or know more and they are so busy trying to be what they imagine they are, they miss the learning and suffer horrendously through it. If we accept we are always learning, we will not get caught up in the nonsense our mind shares with us. Instead, we will be excitedly vulnerable, fabulously messy, transparent and authentic. In this state of surrender, we can be the study. It is a place of total self-acceptance. However, study of the self is different from obsessing over the self. I've seen lightworkers get so caught up in watching for signs, they never do anything and become really stuck. They don't want to leap in any direction, scared of making the wrong choice. So they wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and watch and observe and do nothing ever. This is not study, this is procrastination. We are both yin and yang beings. Yin requires introspection, but yang requires action. We can either progress through taking action, yang, and then monitoring the feeling it creates, or monitoring the feelings, yin, and hoping they spur us into action. If the latter isn't working, we must adopt the former way of studying our life. If we stay too yin orientated, we can become truly stuck. This is the kind of junk I was doing to myself with the wisdom teeth for a decade, trying so many different ideas on and eventually just pure bypass to avoid taking the action I needed to. You can't use spirituality or positive thinking to replace positive action. Remember, there are four counterparts. Spiritual or mental bypass or even emotional bypass causes physical bypass. If you are not getting some result in the physical, chances are you are bypassing one of these other counterparts and using your mind, spirituality or lack of emotional integrity to justify your non-action. 
I see this often with people who overstudy and do course after course for 30 years or people who want to get readings every single month. They are constantly trying to learn and never applying what they learn. They may want to learn to feel okay, but they are overdoing the learning. There is another motivation here. They really just want to feel okay. They are dipping into the pool of knowledge and applying nothing. I always refuse these people as they need to go away and apply what they've learned. Study requires us to be honest. We need to look at ourselves and our true motivations. We also need to belong in the world, so we cannot spend every waking minute obsessing about this. If you are a non-effective human being having a life that is far from your ideal, really look out for this one. Are you obsessing in one counterpart? Get to studying why this is so. You can break this down in time to get a clear indicator. There are 168 hours in a week. How many hours do you spend in each counterpart? For example, let's say you're trying to manifest more money in your life. Are you spending too much? If you are spending too much, then you will never have any left over. This is about practical physical living. If you keep giving away your stuff, you won't have any stuff. When we owned our centre in Sydney, I noticed people coming in to buy crystals to help with manifesting money. They would do this every single week. If only they saved the money they were spending on buying so many crystals to manifest abundance, they would actually have some. My mother, who owned the crystal shop, and I used to have to actively tell people to stop shopping. It wasn't helping them with their end goals. These individuals were not studying. They were bypassing some kind of emotional energy that the crystals might be temporarily making them feel good through. We do this all the time if we are not studying with food, alcohol, drugs, television, technology, social media, spending, doing more for others than we should. Anything that spends our resources in a way that is not truly enriching shows we are bypassing. And please hear me, I'm not saying to never watch television, enjoy a drink with friends or do nothing for others. I'm simply saying do these things if they help you become more embodied and truly more happy in your balanced present life that you are studying and you know in all parts of your being they serve you, all counterparts of you. But if they are allowing you to ignore one of your counterparts, like drinking to suppress feelings or using food to suppress real feelings by the sugar high you get, etc., then you are bypassing and not studying something that is desperately asking to be studied. Consider if you bypass. Do you have a habit that's hard to kick? A state you experience often you feel uncomfortable with? Do you crave sugar, television or other momentary distractions to get you through your day? If you ever figure out there is something to learn and you don't know what or how, you ask the Life University for another resource. Then you wait and watch mindfully for it to turn up. It may come as a magazine you coincidentally read, a newspaper for online media you stumble across. The television may have something on it you watch, or maybe a friend says something. Maybe you feel drawn to go somewhere someday and something happens there that facilitates the same lesson you are learning about. Watch carefully and closely. Your teaching will usually be revealed within three days of your request or faster if you're more conscious. Here is an important part of it too. We shouldn't need to obsess over our learnings. Don't be thinking every single moment of the day, was that it? The messages speak to you. They reach you. You feel them. 
when they are answers to questions you're asking. You won't miss them. You might even reflect at the end of the day, did I get any answers today? And think back over your day and what happened if you had trouble staying in study mode that day. Answers become a conversation with the universe. You wouldn't spend your entire life talking to just one person in the same way you do not need to spend your entire life talking to the universe. Most of my students have heard me talk about doing shadow work once a week if you meditate daily. One-seventh of the time you should be shoulder deep in your own holy crap as I love to call it. I say holy because it is very sacred stuff. The crappy stuff we don't want to acknowledge that is the most scary to reveal causes us to feel shame or guilt or deep pain, fear, sadness or grief and massive vulnerability is so sacred. Being willing to explore these parts of ourselves is true authenticity. In my journey I have come to understand that is what makes a person spiritual. It is not some version of an airy fairy happiness imagined covering a dark vault of festering anger, rage and shadow. Rather, a true spiritual person is deeply honest and authentic, knowledgeable about all parts of themselves. This is only possible through authentic study and absolute self-acceptance. We are in dialogue with ourselves a lot when we are studying, but not so much we lose touch with our effect on the world. We must stay grounded in our physical experience. For example, don't be so caught up in your own anger, you're a barbarian to another human being who did not deserve it. This is losing touch with reality and getting caught up in your own inner world, where you've lost the point of the study. To have a great physical existence, coexisting with other life forms, also trying to have a great physical existence. So do the shadow work proactively once a week. Plan to grow every week and the rest of the time you should be in dialogue only daily for a moment. Think of it like calling home once a day to check in. It'll only take a couple of minutes. You might also receive calls from the universe letting you know something. This is why presence is so important, otherwise you miss these calls. Most importantly, study requires us to act on the information we receive. There is no point in having all the knowledge in the universe inside of you where it does nothing. So submit a life paper now and again and do something with what you know. Then you are a proactive part of the process. Contribute. Justify your existence. We need to do this in terms of the work we want to do in the world. People often ask me when they will be ready to go out and do their work in the world. The answer is you're never going to feel ready. However, you can feel ready to begin the study of your work. It is always a study no matter what we do. I'm still studying being a spiritual teacher and have been for 20 years. Likewise, I'm studying being a mother. I certainly didn't feel ready for that before it happened and still have days where I think, have I got this? Then I remember I'm a student, so these feelings are absolutely okay. Framing everything as a student allows us permission to be the perpetual student. It's okay to be growing in your knowing. When you feel like you're in limbo, that is like cutting class and going to the uni bar instead. You have to engage life because sometimes this is the only place the teachings can come from. You will never get the chance to see how amazing you are if you never try something, nor will you learn if you like it. Study requires us to be proactive. 
We must be in the process, fully living. We must do from our being. Here's how you grow in week two. In week two, ask yourself, where are you not studying? Where are you avoiding? Is there an area of your life that is not working out so well? If so, you are at the bar at the university. Time to get sober and have a look at the teachings here. Ask the universe to present you with information in week two to help you learn with ease and grace and witness what happens. Study the information. What is the universe showing you? Take action to change something. Even if you're not sure it's perfectly right, just start a ball rolling in any direction. Then wait for confirmation from the universe that this is the right path for you. Study the results from the world around you. Modify your approach and try again. And continue this process until you get the result you want. Continuing the process until you do. Take action on day one of the week and continue taking one small step of action each day of the week so you have taken at least seven action steps by the end of the week. Even if you feel like you are just guessing what they should be, do them. I've had a great example of this persistent dialogue in my life in the last few years I can share with you to illustrate this. There are three things I'm not terribly wonderful at, math, plumbing and paperwork. I had to work pretty hard to get my brain focused on these things. After we bought the mountain, we needed to get a development application in through our local council to allow us to build a home and other retreat facilities. The land we bought had nothing on it to start with, and so I was doing everything from scratch. I had no idea what was involved when I first started the process. Now I'm quite an expert on three different kinds of legislation related to building in a bushfire prone area and how to work around the law's rules to get an impossible DA through for a unique build. My husband and I are building an earth-sheltered dwelling right at the very top of a pyramid-shaped mountain, not something the council would normally ever approve considering the bushfires we get here in Australia. Yet I got it through, even when experts told me it was not going to be possible, and I was in limbo being a total non-expert most of the time through the process. It is somewhat of a miracle to others who know the ordeals of getting something like this through. So how did I do it? Every time someone said, no, that's not possible, I asked them why. When they told me that wouldn't be allowed, I asked the universe why. At every setback, I went back to my spiritual connection and asked, am I still on track? And I studied the results. Despite the setbacks from people in the physical world, I got new methods from my guidance and submitting them succeeded. Even when the DA went through, we found it impossible to find a builder that was courageous enough to take on our very different dwelling. I kept feeling like something was out of alignment, and this was the cause of the delay. After the universe gave me time to have a baby and get over that, some interesting information came to me. The architects had given us the wrong engineering diagrams, and this would have caused the house to collapse. Thank goodness we didn't hire a builder beforehand. Since that realisation was made, a lovely local builder who is as excited about our project as we are has come on board and building has finally commenced. In the meantime, I am able to take this time to fix up the workshop room that will be used for retreats and its surrounding gardens, and it has flowed absolutely perfectly at the absolute best time. Throughout the process, I have been seriously challenged, especially trying to wade through confusing legislation but never afraid, defeated, angry or in fear. My ability to study each element as it was unfolding has made this one of the most interesting three-year life projects I have ever undertaken. 
study gives us a relief from suffering because we understand the bigger picture. What are you studying right now? Do you see it as a study? Consider this concept also in how we study the world. So many are concerned about the state of the world. I frequently hear from people who are genuinely concerned for the future of the human race, yet they fail to realise we are amidst the greatest study ever undertaken by the universe. Consciousness exists in a separate form like a human being so it can learn about itself. Just like you have a greater perspective on your friends' challenges than your own because you're outside of them, consciousness also needs to separate to get outside of itself to be able to clearly see all aspects of itself. This study being undertaken is the reason we exist as separate beings at all. So bring this back to the world's consciousness. If we are all here to study experiences, which is why we're called human beings, because we are meant to be and experience, then does the outcome of the experience matter at all? Of course not, because no matter what we do, we're learning something. At a personal level, the universe doesn't care if you take a job over another, or even if you save 10,000 people or one, it makes no difference. If the point of it all is to have experiences, and through the study of them to grow the understanding of universal consciousness. At a global level, it doesn't matter if the world ends or if it continues. Regardless, we will learn something along the way, whatever course we set ourselves upon. What matters is only the study we do along the way, the knowledge we absorb, the experiences we have. Our life matters only if we have an experience and if that experience has deep meaning because of the study we do along the way. Then when we die, we take this knowledge back into source. We add to the pool of know-how, consciousness expands, understanding the outcome of a whole lot more choices. The study of itself may then continue as more life forms are individualized to go and study all opposites. For every good we do here, there is a bad done of equal value somewhere else. This happens because we are all collectively involved in the study of everything every single outcome or possibility. Consciousness is having a quantum experience after all. It's why all possibilities exist before we collapse into one reality. So if you're really hearing what I'm saying, there is massive liberation in knowing that you are here to study. The outcomes do not matter. What matters is the way we go about our experience. In this single moment, here lies the richness of your experience. This is why no one ever finds happiness in the achievement of a goal beyond this moment. The moment after this one is meaningless. What matters only is the depth you take in your awareness to this moment. How much do you study it? How do you drink every single bit of awareness on offer from this moment? Consider your waking moment tomorrow. Do you pause? Do you consider your starting point for the day? Do you notice the state you're awakening? Do you study why this is? Do you then move to eat your breakfast and then consider what your body feels it needs that day? Do you ask why? Do you study how your body systems are and why they may need the foods you are presently craving? When you get in your car and go to work, do you notice the experiences you have along the way? If you think there cannot be experiences to study in traffic, here is an example for you. When I was about seven months pregnant, I was aware of a long line of experiences that were helping me to reframe the family karma for my unborn child, so he could have a different blueprint and in fact together his soul and mine 
for bringing in a new framework for the whole family. Awesome stuff. I agreed to drive a relative who is being diagnosed with schizophrenia and also has PTSD and acute anxiety. He's also a tele-empath and experiences energy on a level I have rarely seen. Life is very intense for him. I was bringing him 500 kilometres. As we entered the freeway, I saw a sign recommending a detour, which my guidance made sure I saw, but I consciously chose to enter the freeway knowing it was where I needed to go. We hit a traffic jam, to my knowledge the worst that has ever been, where a crane truck and a double D semi-trailer collided and started a bushfire that was so hot it burned the tar on the road. No one was moving for more than six hours. My poor passenger experienced massive anxiety. He could feel everyone else's stress about the situation. He was out of the car, pacing up and down, swearing, smoking, stressing. He was about to melt down. I was having a very different experience. It was a hot day. I was so glad to have the pleasure of sitting in the air conditioning. I felt lucky that the universe had given me this moment of stillness where there was nothing I could do but stop. I was being given the chance to again assert the kind of environment I wanted to bring my child into. Eventually, my passenger got so upset with how calm and happy I was, he asked me, aren't you totally mad about this? I simply said that I was not going to let anything take me out of my happy place. I pointed out how lucky we were to have filled the tank with gas and how nice it was in the air conditioning and how we could be relaxed if we wanted to be. He calmed dramatically. That drive took 11 hours when it normally takes four and a half hours and at the end of it I was extremely tired. My passenger has a spiritual gift of easily imprinting his perceptions and will on others. I was fully aware of this so I was able to disassemble his telepathic invasions before they affected me but it was a true psychic workout. I slept the entire day the next day. But what an interesting experience. I got the opportunity to help someone who really needs to learn see how you could manage stress. I got to practice what I preach. I got to work out my psychic muscles in a marathon, which was awesome to do. This person also had to sit in my energy for much longer than expected. For him, this was a transition moving out of Sydney to clear his energy which those in my field experience a lot. There was so much for both of us in this experience. Consider how I could have reacted. I could have joined him in an unconscious pity party and studied what it is like to be miserable and feel hard done by and pace the street complaining with him. Or I could have had an infinite number of other reactions. What happened and what brought us to that moment was totally irrelevant. Only the study we choose to engage in the moment is what brings us into the richness within the moment. So look at traffic as a major time to study. Once you have left the house for the day, you can study your encounters. What the food you eat makes you experience within. What emotional atmosphere you are in. How others affect you or more aptly how you allow them to affect you. You can study what you attract, what you don't attract. You can study how life moves or doesn't. Every single experience becomes something you watch, being curious about, being fascinated by. Some of what you see may be boring to you. You may choose not to study these things in great detail. Some days the traffic may not have as much to offer as the radically interesting journey I had that day. But other days, every single experience is juicy. So we must recognize what is asking to be studied. Here's how you grow in week three. In the third week, notice the following three things in your life. 
Number one, emotional reactions are invitations to study. Number two, inspired action is an invitation to engage in study. And number three, discomfort is an invitation to study. Try studying yourself and your life and see what interesting coincidence consciousness you are being exposed to that can drive you into new levels of bliss and freedom. Consider also that free will allows us to choose how we frame our study. We can choose to make happiness a lifelong study. We may decide this is a course we are taking at Life University. Then our reticular activation system will find opportunities to experience this state more often. We can choose to study being a person who attracts love. We can choose to be a person who attracts abundance. Does this have a physical effect? Well, about 20 years ago, I had an experience of this. I was living with a flatmate who always seemed to have lots more abundance than me. Instead of feeling resentful about that, I looked at the situation, studied, and decided there was nothing particularly special about him that I didn't have and that I too was entitled to as much abundance. I observed him to see what mindset he had. Within a week, I stumbled onto three books that changed my thinking forever about abundance. The following week, my boss gave me a 40% pay rise without me asking. I saw a tremendous physical change. This is an example of getting an A-plus at the Life University. We can choose to study poverty or study a life without love. We can choose to study fear, unwellness or discord. We can choose to study anger or pain, or we can choose their opposites. What we study is entirely up to us. What are you presently choosing to study? Really ask yourself that question. Are you enjoying what you're studying? If not, you can choose to study something else entirely. You simply need to make the choice to change your field of study. If you've had one of the soul maps I do for people done, the three words you are given for your life soul lesson is what you are here to study in a general sense for your entire life. But you'll notice even in this report to tell you about your purpose, your choice of doing is left up to you. You can explore love, if this is one of your words, by experiencing deep, unending, delicious, awe-inspiring, devoted, magnificent love, or hate in its vastest extreme. We can each take numerous actions to fulfill our purpose, but the study remains the key ingredient to the fulfillment of purpose. We are here to learn, to grow consciousness, to bring new knowledge and perspective to all that is. How will you direct your learning? What would you like to study? How would you like to study? The easy way or the hard way? It's up to you. When we are aligned with this larger purpose, we are so connected to the flow of all that is, life feels beautiful. No matter what challenges we face, it is rich indeed. Study is in fact the true secret to happiness.